It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow with you. The phone number is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants chat on Twitter if you want to get in touch with us. That way, you certainly can. Thank you so much for being with us today. Lance, how are you, my friend? I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Doing okay. And again, of course, you can find the archives of all these shows on uh, your favorite podcast platforms as well. And Lance, obviously you have uh, the news coming out yesterday while you and Paul are on actually um, about Saquon Barkley's injury. It is official. Uh, torn ACL. He'll have to undergo surgery to have it repaired. There was some additional reporting out there um, of some additional damage. Meniscus, MCL, none of that's confirmed by the Giants. Those are just reports. Um, so the Giants now have to move on without him. Obviously, it's an emotional injury that the team has to deal with. You know, you kind of look at Saquon Barkley, and I said this on my Giants Rewind podcast with Sean O'Hara, the way he's built, the way he plays, the size of his legs, you almost think this guy is invincible and he's not going to get hurt, but he did. And now the Giants were quickly able to move past it on Sunday. At halftime, they come back. They have a real good second half. They score 13 straight points, have a chance to win the game at the end, except time ran out on them. Now they're going to have to rebound from that and keep that same attitude for a 49er team this week that's also banged up. So I think that's kind of step one here is get through the the mental impact of something like this and just be ready to move forward with the guys you have on the roster, Deion Lewis, Wayne Gallman, Eli Penny, and whoever else they happen to add this week via workouts, waivers, trades, free agents, things like that. That's the nature of the NFL, John. Guys get hurt, and we've seen it year in and year out. The Giants certainly were impacted by this last season. Saquon Barkley wound up missing three straight games. Clearly, they knew he was going to return, so the mindset, to your point, a little bit different, but still... If I'm a running back right now on the roster, I'm itching to get back out there, especially a guy like Wayne Goldman, for example, who fell out off the depth chart last season, you could argue, didn't really have a big role. Well, now an opportunity with a new coaching staff to perhaps be active this week and take on a more prominent role. Deion Lewis has been a veteran. He understands what it means to share the backfield with multiple players. I also think it's important in the wake of the Saquon Barkley injury, and I know, John, that you know a lot of people are speculating the Giants should explore options in free agency. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but I think it's also important to develop players you have on the roster. If you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, for example, when the Eagles have dealt with injuries, I think they're a good example of calling guys up from the practice squad and mm-hmm. having them produce. For example, a guy like Boston Scott or Corey Clement, now, those are two running backs. One was plucked off the Saints practice squad. That was Boston Scott. And Corey Clement was an undrafted player. And nobody ever heard of them until all of a sudden you had injuries atop the depth chart. They had to move them into the active roster. And they fit into the system. They were productive. So I, I think the Giants need to find the balance of, yes, you want a player to come in and keep that running game productive. But granted, nobody comes in and replaces Saquon Barkley. He has a very unique skill set. But at the same time, from Joe Judge's perspective, as well as this coaching staff's perspective, I think it's also important to develop 
some of the younger players you have so that maybe this could be somebody that can be a compliment to Barkley moving forward in right. years to come. Yeah, and then maybe, too, when you decide who you want to bring in from the outside, maybe it's a younger player rather than someone sure. that's a veteran that you can, to your point, develop and maybe can grow into a better player than they are now. The number two factor there, because that's all everybody wants to do, who's a free agent, who can bring in, who can help? Well, guys, just for this week, whomever they bring in, hate to tell you, they're not going to be able to help this week against the 49ers because with the COVID protocols and everything, they're not going to get in the practice field till Friday at the earliest. So bottom line, it's going to be Deion Lewis, it's going to be Wayne Gallman, and it's going to be Eli Penny this week. Those are going to be your three guys. And if you look at Deion Lewis's history, Lance, that's not a guy that's going to be a 25-30 touch-a-game guy. He never has been, and he's not going to start now that he's over 30. So I think this is going to be a 50-50 split. I would imagine Deion Lewis would be used more on passing downs and Wayne Gallman would be more on first and second down just based on their physicality, their size, and things of that nature. So to me, those are the guys this week that are going to have to step in. And we saw Wayne Gallman do it last year. We've seen Deion Lewis do it over the course of his very successful career. So to me, that's the plan this week. And then depending on who they bring in, if anyone, maybe that guy eventually becomes part of that rotation. That's great. But for the 49er game, it's going to be Gallman. And it's going to be Lewis and maybe Eli Penny here or there too, short yardage, whatever. But they're going to have to be the guys that step up this week because of the world we're living in right now. Well, the only other guy that I would add into that mix, John, is it's very feasible they could call up Rod Smith from the practice squad. They could. That's true. I think that's another guy that you know belongs in the conversation. But as you laid out, Goldman has proven it's a small sample size, but... Goldman's the type of back, you could give him 15 to 18 carries without hesitation. I went back and I looked at the Washington game, which was the first game that Saquon missed last season because he was hurt in week three against Tampa Bay, and Goldman had 18 carries in that game. Then the problem is, and this is where timing and injuries is everything in the NFL, right, John? It's all about opportunity. The next game they play the Vikings, right? And Wayne Goldman suffers a concussion. So all of a sudden, now John Hilleman takes over, and Goldman never really regrouped and recovered his role. So if Goldman is the guy that they believe can handle the bulk of the carries and Lewis could be that receiving back, who you could also mix in, you could have Deion Lewis carry the ball 10 times. I certainly don't think that that's a stretch. He did it this past game. Of course. But you can find the balance, to your point, between both of them. But of the group... I would think Wayne Goldman could be your lead back. And Rod Smith, to me, is that underrated back because of his physicality and his size. The opportunity has not been there throughout his career. But the fact that he's been with Jason Garrett, he's been with Mark Colombo in Dallas, out of the familiarity component, they may feel good about calling him up and saying, hey, Rod, you know, we want to give you X amount of carries. We want to see what you could do under these circumstances. No, you're 100% right, and that is certainly an option this week. To your point, it's not going to be a situation. Remember, he was just recently added where he's going to have a problem with the system because of experience, his experience in Dallas with Jason Garrett. So I agree with you. To me, I think that is a realistic option. I think it would be disheartening for Wayne Gallman if they call Rod Smith up and he's, he's poaching a lot of his carries away. And I think Absolutely. that might be a sign of you know things to come later in the year if that happens right away. I agree with you. But I think that's what you're looking at. And look, guys, we know this anyway. And I think the evidence of the first two games is you know fairly clear where a running back's effectiveness, while you know the running back ability does matter and maybe the guy will turn a 5-yard gain into a 12-yard gain or a 15-yard gain into a 60-yard gain, that's how the running back's ability impacts the position. 
it's going to come down to the offensive line making room for these guys to run anyway. Whether it's Barkley, whether it's Gallman, whether it's Lewis, whether it's Rod Smith, the offensive line is going to have to create spaces for these guys. And the guys currently on the roster, they're not going to have that turn nothing into something, turn a little bit into a huge play type of ability of Barkley just because of how physically gifted Saquon was. But if the line blocks it up, they're going to be able to get yards for you. So it's now going to be a bigger onus, Lance, on this offensive line to create space in the running game because you don't have that uniquely talented player in the backfield that can maybe create something when nothing is there. Yeah, I think you're spot on in terms of your analysis, John. You just don't have that game changer in the backfield anymore. That doesn't mean you can't have a productive run game. I mean, there's a number of teams that have a running back by committee, but I do think the onus is on the offensive line to make sure they can get a push for these guys to find holes as opposed to Saquon making two or three guys miss and turning what looks to be a two-yard gain into a 10-yard gain. You just don't have that game changer. That doesn't mean, though, once again, that you can't create opportunities for your running back and also have the defense respect the running game. See, John, to me, the philosophy for the Giants has to be, okay, you don't have the home run hitter, but what can we do to tell the Niners that you can't just put eight or nine guys in the box and force Daniel Jones to play hero ball? That's what I'm trying to create. If I'm Jason Garrett and this offensive line, I want to give the Niners, I want to give the Rams, the Cowboys, the next three opponents, a reason to respect the rushing attack. If they can do that with a variety of backs who also can tell the defense, hey, Deion Lewis is in. We could run the ball with Deion Lewis. We could throw the ball to Deion Lewis. Wayne Goldman, we could do both. And Rod Smith also. Remember, Rod Smith had that 81-some-odd-yard gain against the Giants, if you remember, a few years ago when uh, he was with the Cowboys. So all three of those guys have the potential to catch the ball out of the backfield as well as pound it on the ground. Can you find the ideal combination between the three to – not put fear in the eyes of the opposition, okay? We understand none of them are Saquon Barkley, but I don't think that the mindset can't be, let's give Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, a reason to not necessarily keep guys back in the defensive backfield so that Daniel Jones has nobody to throw to. Right, and I think the interesting part of this to me now, Lance, is that we saw how the Steelers played the Giants in week one, where they were not going to let the Giants run the ball on them. And we saw early in that Chicago game, while in the first week, and I'm not sure if you were on the show last week when we talked about this, but in the first week against the Lions, the Bears played two safeties deep the whole game and dared the Lions to run the ball on them. They said, we dare you. Do it. And the Lions, as you know, Lance, has been one of the worst running teams in the league for the last three or four years. They just haven't run the ball well. And the Lions ran it on them last week. Well, this week when the Lions, when the Bears came in and played the Giants, guess what? Their whole defensive strategy changed. Where they played too deep and a lot of zone, against the Lions in Week 1, against the Giants this week, they put a lot of man, put extra guys up front to try to stop Saquon Barkley. So I think it is going to be interesting now to see how Jason Garrett and his staff anticipate opposing defenses will match up with the Giants' offense based on the fact that Barkley's not there. Will there be lighter boxes? Will teams play different coverages? Will you see more two safeties deep now? How are teams going to adjust how they play the Giants? And that's how you scheme offensively. You develop your game plan each week based on what your defense is going to do to you. So this is going to be a little bit of a chess match here. Now as the Giants try to figure out what these defenses are going to do to them because Barkley is not there. And to your point, he's a game changer. The why I always call him a mismatch player in the passing game. Well, now other teams maybe can do more things because they're not worried about Saquon and how is the Giants offense and Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones going to adjust to that. 
Well, and here's the other component, John. I know we don't have a definitive answer on Sterling Shepard, but not only <laughs> I was are you going to be next, without Lance. Saquon, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You're going to be without Sterling. So the reason why we have to bring that into the conversation is you're trying to get teams to respect your rushing attack, okay? But also now you have one of your top three wide receivers out of the lineup, which means that if I'm the Niners, okay, if I want to now bring over the extra safety to Darius Slayton because I'm worried about his game-changing ability, now all of a sudden it's up to Evan Ingram, it's up to Golden Tate, it's up to C.J. Board, whoever they give more opportunities to win their one-on-one battles. So that's what I think is very interesting the timing of the Barkley injury coincides with the Shepard injury. Now, granted, last season we talked at nauseum how the Giants were yearning to get all five of their top guys in the lineup. Lance, it they never got, happened. And there they got were a games. quarter and a half. They got yeah. a quarter and, and a half. And there were games, John, last season where you had multiple guys out of the lineup, too. I know. I know. So this is not uncharted territory, but I just think it's interesting that we're talking about, okay, how can you get that running game? to stay respectful, but at the same time now, you also need other guys to step up in the receiving core. Yep. And if I'm C.J. Board, I'm foaming at the mouth because if I could get more reps, I need to now prove to the coaching staff I could get separation, I can make plays, so that now that can maybe open things up for the rushing attack. And I also think, and we've been talking about this over the last two games, but you know, this is now a critical component to Evan Ingram and whether or not you know he could be that consistent force to take pressure off the wide receivers. Because if you lose your running back and you lose a wide out, the middle of the field may have some openings. It's now going to be up to Evan to consistently make plays. No question about it. He had a good second half against Chicago, too, yeah. after a quiet first half. And he stepped up, and he was much better in the second half of that game. So you hope that now he can continue to do that because they're going to need him to do that, and they're going to need Golden Tate and Darius Slayton. And they're going to need, again, Lance, one of these other receivers that they kept. Remember, they let Corey Coleman go, so it's going to be C.J. Board. It's going to be Damian Ratley. One of these guys are going to have to step up here and get snaps because if they're going to play a lot of three wide receiver sets, and maybe you'll see a lot more 12 personnel now too, maybe more dual tight ends if Shepard's not there than you did previously, and some of these other wide receivers that are not household names for Giant fans that don't get locked in in the preseason and things of that nature, that these guys are going to play, and they're going to play some serious snaps, and they're going to have to make some plays here. Well, and that's why when we talk about injuries, as you just hit on, the flip side of it is a player who may not have been in every down offensive weapon now has a chance to move up in the depth chart. And I know we hear the cliched line, coaches use it all the time, next man up. And it may be boring for fans to hear and listeners and so forth. And I'm not telling you to sell it and buy it, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But there is truth to it. That the teams that overcome injuries, and I was referencing the Eagles in 2017, for example, they won the Super Bowl in a year where they lost a lot of weapons. And most people, when they saw those guys dropping like flies, I don't think many expected Philadelphia to be able to keep its head above water. Okay, well, now the Giants are in a similar circumstance. You lose Barkley. You don't know how Shepard, how long he's going to be out. Well, you're not going to get all of a sudden a savior out on the street. It just doesn't happen like that. There's a reason also why guys are still free agents, okay? There's also that criteria that you have to take into consideration. You're going to get the most help from a player that is currently on the roster, given the circumstances, who's at least been in the Zoom meetings, has been in camp, and has been on the practice squad. Those are always going to be the first players you turn to. Well, 
Now here's an opportunity at the running back position and the wide receiver position going up against a banged-up Niners team that is going to be without Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas. We don't know about D. Ford. Okay, that's the front seven, guys. Richard Sherman's going to be inactive. And I'm not saying that there's a layup line, okay, opportunity, John, for the Giants because the Niners, to me, have a lot more depth than most teams. But I think if you're going to be turning to backup guys on the Giants and you know that the Niners are going to be throwing out backup guys— I don't think the order is too tall for some of these guys to answer the call. And again, we'll see what's going on with Sterling Shepard. The lower limb injury is the way Joe, Coach Joe Judge framed it on his press conference over Zoom yesterday. Obviously, there's other media reports out there with a more specific injury. Uh, the Giants have not commented on that, so we'll, we'll stick with lower limb for now. But if you go out there, um, and the report during the game, I think he left the game with a toe injury. I think that was the official word that came out on network TV as well. So I think you guys can put two and two together here. Uh, four wide receivers, by the way, Lance, on the practice squad. Derek Dillon from LSU, Austin Mack, and Benjamin Victor from Ohio State, both undrafted free agents, then special teams ace Johnny Holton. So uh, if Sterling Shepard can't go this week, those guys are options as well to call up from the practice squad if they want some more reinforcements at that wide receiver spot. Well, I brought this up on social media as well as on the Giants postgame show, and I'm curious your perspective because I know there was a lot of debate when people looked at the inactive list in week two and said, well, why was Wayne Goleman inactive? And first of all, the Giants coaching staff did not have a crystal ball. Nobody knew that Saquon was going to get hurt, and Deion Lewis is the main backup. But well, Elias, part- By the way, that's the bottom line because if Barkley doesn't get hurt, Wayne Goleman doesn't contribute, and that, that's why he's yeah. inactive because he's not going to help you in other areas. But here's the other factor, John. I also think, and I put this up on social media, there were three guys that were inactive for both weeks, okay? So nothing changed, but most of the other swaps were within the same positional groups and roles. Mm -hmm. And if you take into consideration, John, Golden Tate, this was his first game, but he was coming off a hamstring injury. And you know, it's very easy for a player to re-aggravate a hamstring injury if the guy cuts the wrong way. So that's why I don't think the Giants coaching staff felt comfortable about swapping out Golden Tate for another wide receiver. I think the feeling was we've got to keep an extra wide receiver up in the case that he does re-aggravate the injury. And also, as you just hit on, those other wide receivers contribute on special teams compared to Wayne Goldman. So it's a numbers game. It's a role game. But what I'm getting at here is if you still have Golden Tate not that far removed from the hamstring injury and you need to replace Sterling Shepard, I think there's more of a reason to have an extra wide receiver active for Sunday's game against the Niners just for the sake of protecting Golden Tate and, B, having an extra option on special teams. I agree. I'm with you. 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. we got a bank full of calls. You can reach us there or on Twitter. Lance will monitor that for us throughout the show, talking about how the Giants might adjust to the injuries with Saquon Barkley out for the year and Sterling Shepard dealing with that lower limb injury. Uh, So give us a call. Get us on Twitter. We'll get to them. And at some point, maybe we can go over some of the stuff from the Bears game as well. Lance did it yesterday. I didn't have much of a chance yet to talk about what happened. So if we have some time, we'll do that as well. But for now, let's hit the phones. Rick in Tampa was on the line first today. Rick, what's going on, pal? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, I am first today because I've been waiting to talk about this weekend. So nice to talk to you guys today. What's up? Again. Yeah, thanks for calling. Hey, do you have a note? Wait, real quick, do you notice that every call, most of the calls you guys get are from out of town? Is that kind of, it's kind of strange. It's like uh, us transplanted New Yorkers get to listen to you online during the day like this and we get to call in because it seems to be a lot of people from around the other states that call in. Pretty interesting. Yeah, just a thought. Well, 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 Rick, I think the reason you get we get more callers out of state 
is because people here have their local sports talk station that they can get Giants yeah, talk no. on, and obviously so, people, other people don't. Yeah, yeah that's no, the that's, beauty that's of technology. Uh, you know what? All right, couple quick, couple things. Um, very disappointed after the loss, and obviously loss of Saquon. Um, you know, as I'm watching them lose and thinking to myself that you know, zero and two, and then watching how it you know ended, but prior to that and and other than my gosh can atlanta ever hold on to a lead you know i'm i'm watching the rest of the, our the teams in our division get beat and i'm thinking okay we're going to be 0 and 2 but so will everybody else and washington's not going to beat arizona so they'll be 1 and 1 and um and then of course atlanta does what atlanta does and lets dallas win that game and uh but the division is so wide open still and even despite uh, Dallas winning that game so there was hope in that in our position in our division but with that loss and everything that's gone on with Saquon I have a a couple concerns obviously the and and we're playing San Francisco who was just getting hurt left and right in their game so I'm thinking okay they're going to be super injured as well, and they're going to be playing us. So this is like the, the ultimate time to play the, uh, San Francisco um, with their injuries. But when you look at, uh, and you mentioned big play, or who, who are they going to be? A fr- well, I don't, first of all, there's nobody on this team right now at all that would strike fear in anybody's any. So that's, that's right up front is, is, is a concern, and uh, there's nothing we can do about that, but nobody's going to strike fear in, in, the, in, in uh, the other team. Washington, I mean, not Washington, San Francisco, even though I know what I'm leading to is that it's a winnable game, but the, they are now with Saquon not playing. They can, and I don't really think there's going to be, like you just mentioned, what are they going to put on tape or what are they going to make, what is Garrett going to do to give a respect to the running game? I, I really don't know there if there's anything he could do, and they could, even though they are limping into this game, can eliminate that part of our offense and say, well, Dan, Daniel, you're going to be throwing it 40 times. That's the way it's going to be. So, I, I mean, that, if that's unfortunate that they're going to have that. I think they can only cover half the field like that, but hopefully we, we won't. Well, Rick, um, I don't think, just to yeah. jump in here, I don't think Jason Garrett yeah. is going to have Daniel Jones throw the ball 40-some-odd times. And the reason I say that is because Jason Garrett went through, if you remember, when they lost Zeke for six games a few years ago due to suspension, and he also has had issues when DeMarco Murray went down, and, you know, they had a guy like Darren McFadden, and they still pounded the ball. Mm -hmm. They did not become a pass. Well, they had a better offensive line, though. No, I understand that, but they had a... (laughs) That's Dallas Cowboys, the great offensive line they had. You know, we have... I mean, it's a challenge. I understand what you're saying, and I agree that with that, but it's so much more of a challenge for him with the offensive line that he's that we have. That no, but Rick, Rick that's fair. But that, anybody. but Garrett's still going to try to run it. Now, if yeah, he gets, if, now, 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 if he gets to halftime and they have you know twelve carries for six yards, yeah, then they're probably going to pass a lot <laughs> in the second not. half. Correct, Garrett. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, 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 that's true. Now, with that said, I have two questions I want to ask. That and one, first of all, how big is this game for the Giants? I mean, this is a winnable – if we don't and – and the scary thing, if we don't win this game, which we got to win to make the season respectable, if we don't win this game, there's really nothing anybody could say anymore for the rest of the season. I mean, it's that dire that this game is so – so, the magnitude 
for this Giants team to win this game against this team who's hurt so bad to win this game because then we have, you know, like October's going to be against all of our divisional rivals. We have, we, we have, could have some momentum. So how important is this game? For question one, it's got to be a win. A win or nothing, or I think the season is completely over. And what's number two? And, uh, and, and the other thing is that that last play, that Dan, you know, Daniel Jones is not a stiff quarterback. He has some mobility. I was just hoping that, because other teams do that to us as well, that last play, could they have designed a scramble in a sense where he could have said, you know what, you're going to go to the left, then you're going to bend around and come to the right, and let's get one of our guys wiggle their way open. I was hoping for more creativity on Daniel Jones' part on that last well, Rick, play versus okay. the drop back. All right, Rick. What, you know – I appreciate the call, my friend. Thanks a lot. Uh, do me a favor. Just listen off the air. Um, on that last play, scrambles aren't designed. Rollouts are designed. And in that play, I don't like a rollout because you're only letting Daniel Jones in look at one half of the field. So I would not have put a design rollout there, Lance, because I think that takes away options from your quarterback, which is the last thing you want to do. Now, Daniel Jones could have ran around and bought more time. That's generally not what he does. He's a guy that will run the ball if the pocket gets a little congested and he gets chased out. But he's not a – and this is kind of the point we've made. While he is very mobile and he can run, he's not like the Russell Wilson to Sean Watson where he's making guys miss in the backfield, spinning away, buying extra time, throwing while he's fading away. He likes to stay in the pocket and make a throw. So if nothing was there – and by the way, if he throws that ball to Golden Tate a little bit earlier, it's a touchdown. Now it gets called back anyway because it's offensive pass interference. But, you know, Tate was open because of the OPI penalty. But – yeah, could he have scrambled around and, and maybe found somebody later? Sure. But that's, generally speaking, not the way Jones operates. He wants to operate in the pocket. That's what his strength is. That's what he wants to do. Well, and remember, the more that Daniel Jones holds on to the football, that's when he's gotten in trouble with ball security issues, yeah. too. So, you know, you have to find the balance between, and I understand it's the last play of the game and the Bears are looking to make sure they have enough guys back in coverage so Jones doesn't have an opening, but you also have two premier pass rushers, and if Jones is going to hold on to the football, there's also a chance that the Bears could get to the quarterback. So that's another reason why I wouldn't be extremely in favor of designing plays where he's holding on to the ball longer. I think maybe, and I'm not trying to get into the head of Rick, but maybe he was also thinking about the play that Mitchell Trubisky made right. in the game where he was scrambling scrambling around, but at again, least jumping back and forth in the pocket, right, John, he, yeah, and he, he threw was, it up to Mooney. Yeah. But that wasn't, to me, part of design. Correct. That was just Trubisky trying to buy time and make something for his teammate. And sometimes a quarterback has to do that, has to go off script. But I don't know about designing plays where you're asking Daniel Jones to hold on to the ball longer when you know that usually has led to some bad things in ball security department. And by the way, I'm looking at the replay of that. The Bears rushed three on that play, so they had eight guys aligned all across the goal line. So, one, Jones wasn't going to run it in, all right, because the Bears had too many guys lined up at the goal line. He never would have, he likely never would have gotten there. And he actually was flushed out of the pocket on the play. Even though the Bears only rushed three guys, both Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack uh, flushed Jones out to the right. So he was rolling to the right when he threw it over Golden Tate's head. He could have held it a little bit longer, but he would have eventually been trapped by the sideline there. So, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily applicable in that situation. And in terms of Rick's first point with the game being very important, Look, I kind of talked about the Chicago game because I had no idea the Niners were going to be this banged up this week. We didn't know Garoppolo was going to be out or possibly be out, that they'd lose Nick Bosa, lose Raheem Mostert, lose 
um, Solomon Thomas. We didn't know those injuries were going to happen. So I think all of us thought this 49er game was going to be very challenging, right? Former, you know, last year's NFC uh, champions that went to the Super Bowl. So I thought this Bears game for that reason was very important. You're facing Mitch Trubisky. It's a game that you should be able to compete in and win. But now the, the Niner game, I think, becomes similar, Lance. And the way I've kind of looked at this, I needed the Giants to go 2-3 and three in their first five games. Just get through the gauntlet, hover around 500, and then you can try to make a run when you play teams like the Redskins um, in October. The Washington has already won a game, too. They beat Philly. So, again, you never know what the schedule. You always talk about this when the when the opponents come out back in back in May. It's it's one of your favorite soapboxes, Lance. You never know what the opponent's going to be this year because of injuries. This Niner game is a perfect example. But, yeah. yes, given the injuries, this is a game that the Giants do need to try to take advantage of because the Rams have looked very strong the first couple weeks of the year. And obviously the Cowboys have a really good offense and the Giants have that trouble beating them. So this is a very important game, regardless of the future opponents. I mean, if you start 0-3, statistically, even with the extra wild card, Lance, your chance of making the playoffs is very, very slim. Well, statistically, when you start off 0-2, the chances are slim too. I mean, just based on what we've seen in the archives and the history of the NFL. So, I mean, it goes without saying this game is important because the Giants are still seeking their first win. The other thing, though, that I wanted to add to what the last caller mentioned, I disagree with the philosophy of getting caught up, John, in what's happening with the other divisional teams. First of all, you still have every one of your divisional games. I agree. They have yet to go up against an opponent within the NFC East. And you can't be thinking about getting help from everybody else or other opposition. Because remember, what was it the year a few years ago? Remember everyone in the division, John, was hovering around 500 yeah, and, and the, the Giants, Giants were still like, mathematically were alive. Yeah, I think that? the Giants were like 3-7 and seven after 10 games. And people Correct. were like, but we're alive for the playoffs. Well, yeah, so, you're not if you don't take care of your own business. Exactly. Right. And every week I know we'd field callers and they'd be right. like, oh, well, you know, if this team beats that team, technically the Giants are still mathematically alive. You can't, the Giants can't be thinking about, well, what the Falcons did against the Cowboys. (laughs) The bottom line is go out and take care of your own business. And then at the end of the year, see how the standings play out. But this philosophy of frustration over Dallas making a comeback against Atlanta, it makes no difference what's happening in the division if the Giants don't win games. It's as simple as that. Bingo. So they have to start winning games specifically against NFC opponents. And that's why I would argue, yes, this game is important because they're 0-2, but also if we are talking about, John, as you hit on, the extra wild card spot this year with seven teams, remember, some of the tiebreakers are determined with common NFC opponents. So that's another reason why a game like this is critical. And the NFC West, I would argue, is one of the deepest divisions in the NFL. That's the division the Giants are playing this year. And you may have a tiebreaker that comes back to bite you perhaps a little bit later on in the season. So, yeah, you combine all of those factors. Of course, this game is important. But I also wouldn't just overlook the Niners because they're banged up. I think it says something, John, about a team that lost a lot of key playmakers and still held a sizable lead against the Jets. Oh, they walloped them. They walloped them. They killed them. That says a lot about how well that team is coached and how well that team is prepared for other guys to step in. So this is no picnic. This is no cakewalk just because the Niners happened to lose two of their critical pass rushers and you know, may have to be turning to Jarek McKinnon, who, by the way, was a starting running back with the Vikings a few years ago. No question about it. Fred Warner is a great linebacker. Eric Armstead's yeah. still a really good pass rusher. If D. Ford comes back, he's a good pass rusher. Giant fans like to have either one of those guys rushing the passer for them. So they still have some very good players on that roster. They still have a good offensive line. We all know how good Kyle Shanahan's scheme is at um, opening things for players and creating opportunities. So I'm with you. Don't overlook the Niners now. Does it give the Giants a much better opportunity? Absolutely. But it is what it is. 
Uh, Peter in the Florida Keys was up next. Hey, Pete. Hey, guys. Another Florida call. What's up, bud? We're doing great. Doing well. Excellent. Um, I had a comment, a question, and a a something fun, a fun question. Okay. I promise I'll be really, really quick. Go ahead. Um, For my comment, you know, it sucks that Saquon Barkley's hurt, but I think this is a golden opportunity for Evan Ingram to show us the playmaker that a lot of us really still think he is. Not only is he dynamic, but I, I'm going to anticipate that he's going to get more targets, you know, in the next few weeks. I just pray that he stays uh, healthy. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does in the next few weeks because I'm sure he's going to be a, a, a primary target for. Yeah, we uh, agree. Jones. Yeah, Pete, we agree with you. We're 100. percent Cool. Um, so my question for you is, um, and I know you guys are pretty good at looking up the stats and all. Um, is it? readily available to look to see what the average time of release for Daniel Jones was last year and compare it to, you know, how quick he's getting the ball off this year in the first two games. I can check that. And as of the first week, I have not looked after this week, as of the first week, it was was significantly faster. Oh, that's awesome. But I I will check for you right now what it is through, through, through two weeks. Gotcha. And I think that the average fan, what they do is they look at, oh, he had two more turnovers. But if he's getting the ball off faster than than last year, and, you know, when you're blindsided, it's kind of hard to hold on to a damn ball when, uh, you know, some elite pass rush is coming at you. So yeah, but Pete, that's, that's true. The, that's true. But, but that first fumble in this game, he did a double pump fake to Sterling yep. Shepard yep. because Eddie Jackson came yep. down. Stayed on him a little bit too long, and then didn't tuck the ball back in. He kept it up behind his back. Those are the two things on that particular play that has to get cleaned up because if he brings that ball and tucks it back in or gets it out quicker to your point and doesn't double clutch it to Shepard over the middle, then Mac doesn't have or Quinn doesn't have time to get home and knock that ball away so easily because it's kind of sticking out. You know what I mean? Yeah, Peter, the yep, difference in football fair. is a fraction of a second. Yep. So the yep. difference between not doing a pump fake versus doing a pump fake, that's sometimes the difference between losing a fumble and retaining a fumble. So it's as simple as that. Now, I would say with respect to interceptions, every interception yep. has its own story. Remember, there was a few seasons ago, Eli Manning had that year where a lot of the interceptions were off deflections, and some of Daniel Jones's passes have been like that too. So you can't just all of a sudden say, oh, two more turnovers here we go again yeah you have to analyze the play but I think with the fumbling some of it is once again what we were talking about earlier if Daniel Jones gets rid of the football throws it away lives to see another down I think you decrease the chances of taking the hits from the blind side that you just hit on that ultimately leads to coughing up the yeah and I think the other part of that too Lance is that Daniel is very good at, at getting out of that pocket and running for positive yards and if you feel that you know coming down on you a little bit Talk it a run. And rather than trying to squeeze in a pass down the field, you run for six or seven yards. If it's not a third and long, that's that that's a good gain. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. So I think that's another way you can kind of go about it in terms of feeling that pressure instead of just hanging and hanging and hanging in the pocket. Get and move. Go and move. And I think that's one way to do it. All right, I got the numbers for you, Pete. Uh, last year... And again, I can break this down in terms of type of play, but I just have the basic numbers for you. Uh, for quarterbacks with a minimum of 100 dropbacks last year, Daniel Jones was 29 of 45 quarterbacks. Average time of release was 2.86 seconds. This year, he is 23rd of 34 quarterbacks. Average time to throw, 
of 2.74 seconds. So it is slightly faster. Um, it slowed down this week versus week one against Pittsburgh. Let me see if I can grab that for you right now. But I think that is something that is a little underrated, in my opinion at least, in terms of um, quarterbacks, you know, kind of creating their own sacks in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? And I right. do think yeah. that does happen some of the times um, with these quarterbacks. And I think, you know, Pro Football Focus have done these analytical studies where sack rate has a lot more to do with the quarterback than the offensive line. And I do think that is that is something to keep an eye on. So against Chicago, Jones' average time to throw was 2.8 seconds. And against Pittsburgh, Jones' average time to throw was – these are all via PFF, by the way – uh, Jones' average time to throw was 2.68 seconds. So he was a little bit slower to get it out against Chicago. Got you. And I think maybe those numbers are a little skewed in a sense because, say, Russell Wilson extends a play. He runs around. He might have a four-second release time. That yeah. probably gets mm-hmm. averaged into those numbers too. No, Pete, you're right about that. And I, I haven't done yeah. this calculation for this year. But if you go back to last right. year and the way I broke it down, yeah. I looked at plays in the pocket where there was no pressure. Right, because that indicates oh, okay. where the, the 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 pass rush isn't forcing to get rid of the ball quick, and yeah. you don't scramble around. So that kind of takes okay. two factors out of the equation. And last year when Perfect. I looked at that, so it was time in the pocket with no pressure, time to throw. Jones was one of the two or three slowest in the league. So that is something that he needed to clean up this year. So that'll be something to keep an eye on this year because. Like I said, he likes to stay in the pocket. That was my answer to Rick on his first call, right, on the goal line play. He wants to stay in the pocket, and part of that's his greatest strength because to, to the point that Joe Judge made against Pittsburgh, and he was 100% right, Jones hangs in that pocket with pressure coming down on him and delivers these great throws. He gets hit. He doesn't care. It's the same thing Eli used to do. But a lot of times that's a great trait to have to throw under pressure with guys in your face and not be affected by it. But this is the point that Lance made. It's a game of seconds or half seconds where if you just hold it a little bit too long, what could have been a great play under pressure turns into a disastrous play that's a turnover. So there's a balance you can find in there somewhere that exists. And again, Jones is in his second year. He's going to figure it out. It's just a matter of him getting there. Gotcha. Thanks for looking at that for me, John. Uh, so my my fun question here, you know, my favorite NFL player of all time is Lawrence Taylor. And my favorite NBA player is Michael Jordan. Oh God! In your in your opinions, someone was reading fact or fiction. Who who do you feel was more dominant in their prime, Michael Jordan or Lawrence Taylor? All right, and I'll take that off the air. Lance is going to take like eight minutes to answer this, so I'll answer (laughs) very quickly myself first. This was actually, I guess he didn't read it, Lance, but this was a question Salomon came up with for fact or fiction. I think yeah, we already responded to it. Essentially, we did. So I'll give my answer very quickly. From a team perspective, nothing tops Jordan's accomplishments. Two three-peats, six titles, better. I hate to say it, kills me, better. But <laughs> well, from an, it came it, at the expense of the Knicks. Of but course. Anyway. But from an individual perspective, for a defensive player in the NFL to win league MVP, that to me is a more significant achievement 
than a star in the NBA winning MVP. Unless, you know, if like Dikembe Mutombo came out there and won MVP one year because he was that good at defending the rim. Like, that's never going to happen. But LT was so good defensively, he redefined an entire position, changed the way the league plays. So I think from that perspective, maybe as an individual, LT impacted the game a little bit more. But from a team perspective, there's no arguing Jordan's success uh, winning titles. I mean, that that is unsurpassed except by Bill Russell, obviously. Well, remember, in 1988, Jordan won MVP and defensive player. That, of the that year. Is, that's a good point, too. So, you know, you can't overlook that. And here's why I disagree with Taylor being more dominant from that standpoint is because, John, Jordan played offense and defense. And not, no disrespect not, to Taylor, that, but Taylor fair could too. only impact the game on really one side. And he was a special teamer, at least in the early stages of his career. So I don't want to say that he wasn't versatile, but in the NBA— it's much more superstar-driven because your superstars can impact every single play. In the NFL, it's not so much as superstar-driven because you can have an electric offense, but if your defense is not very good, then both facets have to meet halfway. So that's why I would always, and even if you gave me another football player or another basketball player, I'd still lean towards the basketball player because the basketball player is being asked to play defense and offense consistently. Those guys can't take plays off. LT... Dominant, no doubt about it. Arguably the greatest defensive player in NFL history. He had to the watch from the sideline to see what his offense did with all of his great plays. Right, which is why Jordan's team accomplishments are better. Because obviously yeah. there's only five guys on the floor as opposed to 11 in the NFL too. So that's a factor. One guy can just impact the game that much more. But I think to my point, you know, you could argue a quarterback maybe impacts an NFL game as much as a single NBA player does. I think that is an argument you can have and I could see it both ways. But I just thought Taylor, it's so rare for a defensive player to win MVP in the NFL. It showed how much better he was than everybody else. So that was sure. my take on that. Anyway, 201, but I think, I think both, both ways to look at it are absolutely fair. And I'm going to get after Dan Salomon for putting Jordan questions. I thought it was there. a very good question, actually. I, I'm sure you loved the question. 201-939-4513. in the Chicago theme. I mean, you got to give Salomon some creativity points. He was really thinking. Yeah, he probably did that while he was buying those Jordans for his daughter. <laughs> That is tremendous parenting, by Let, the way. Let's go to Norris in Brooklyn. He's up next. What's up, Norris? Hey, good afternoon, guys. Can you hear me? I'm loud and clear, Norris. What's up? Yep. All right, cool, cool, cool. Nothing much. Uh, thanks for taking my call. I tried to call him yesterday, but I had the phone on mute for a second, so I didn't realize. <laughs> but I had a couple questions, um, and I just wanted to make a few comments. So, comment-wise, for one, I appreciate you, um, uh, John. You know, earlier you said that, you know, definitely there are factors that, that affect – you know, the turnovers and, and the rate that they happen. And then there's another part of it where it's, you know, it's dependent on the quarterback and some of the decisions that he's making and, you know, when he decides to get rid of the ball. And I feel like Daniel Jones, and you know me, I'm a casual fan. I've never played football. I've only, you know, just watch it. As a casual fan, he kind of gives us that hot and cold where he has games when he looks like the franchise quarterback and we have faith and we feel like, you know, he can lead us to promised land. And he has games where or sometimes it can happen in the same game where he doesn't right he looks like like what's he doing out there and i'm just trying to like what do you guys feel do you guys think he's doing a good job or or is he really looking bad out there because i think four turnovers in two in two games is pretty intense especially when he's had a really bad problem with fumbling last season and then some of the fumbles they really feel like he's just like standing there waiting for it to happen almost you know what i mean like a couple nights ago we saw justin herbert um, play and, 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 you know, almost take the charges to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. And I felt like even though he's a rookie, you know, when the pressure got there, 
you know, not necessarily running like Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson and, and making the highlight play like Lamar Jackson, but kind of using his mobility to really make it tougher on defensive lines to, to get that sack. You know what I mean? Using his I mobility do. to help his offensive linemen to protect him a little bit better and then get out of the pocket when he needs to make a play to help extend the play. That's like sometimes Daniel Jones, you know, stays in the pocket too long. And even though he has that athleticism, he's not really utilizing it in certain ways. So that was just my first statement no 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 real quick i want to comment on that real fast um i think you hit it on the athleticism part i think one thing jones can do is use his athleticism a little more to extend plays i think when he uses athleticism he just kind of takes it and almost decides all right i'm gonna run now i'm gonna run it's not like i'm gonna move to create more time to throw i don't think he does that as much as he can i think that's fair um last year looking at all the stuff i was always more concerned about his interceptions and his fumbles and he has three picks this year and one fumble, right? So to me, I'm still more concerned about the interceptions part of it because, look, if he shows that what happened on that one play where he didn't you know, tuck the ball in with two hands becomes a pattern this year again, then I'm with you. I'm going to be really concerned about the fumbles again. But to me, that is something that can be fixed um, with just some basic fundamentals. And I think we saw those fundamentals in play in week one where I thought he did kind of keep two hands on the ball a little bit better. But generally speaking, I, I think your opening statement, Lance, was, was fair, right? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, the turnovers need to be cut down. I mean, no matter how you want to break it down and how you want to explain it, I think if you look at most quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls or have had really consistent careers, you don't see a very high turnover rate. And right now, the touchdown-to-turnover rate is pretty much even. So that has to change. There's no doubt about it. I think, though— When you also take into consideration, he has yet to play a full season. Remember, he was in 13 games, 12 starts last year, Mm -hmm. and now he's had two games. So we haven't really seen a full 16-game season out of Daniel Jones, which means, I mean, that's nothing compared to some other younger quarterbacks. So I think we need to see a little bit more. I think for somebody in his rookie year to throw 24 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, have a 2-to-1 ratio, I think that is very good. Then when you take into consideration the fumbles, it sort of eats into that. But, you know, I think there's a lot of encouraging signs that how he's handled himself, how he's handled some pressure in the pocket. If he could do that and he can make some of these adjustments and tweaks, I think right now you're looking for more consistency out of Daniel Jones. And you alluded to this, Norris, by saying he's hot and cold. And I would agree with you. And I think sometimes the hot and coldness even comes within a game where you see, wow, the first quarter was really good. Yeah. Eh, second quarter, For sure. things died down. So, yeah, you want to see a little bit more consistency out of Daniel Jones. There's no doubt about it. But I think the foundation is encouraging considering how he's handled himself thus far. It's just it's those small things in terms of what we were talking about earlier, the fraction of a second in which you make decisions when you are smart enough and decisive enough to realize, throw the ball away and just take third down. I go back to the 19-play drive. It was second down. If he throws the ball away, they still have another down before they have to decide to go for it or take a field goal. And smart, savvy quarterbacks say, you know what, I'll live to see the other down. So those are the types of things that I think you're looking from Daniel Jones to shore up and clean up. And if he could get to that, then I think you'll start to see a little bit more consistency out of him. No, that's that's fact, Lance. And when you bring up that 19 drive play that we just turned it over, you're bringing up like anxiety attacks. But um, <laughs> I'm so, just going so, based well, on the and, facts. And, 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 and Norris, by the way, I think that's a perfect example because Slayton was open in the back of the end zone. If he has another half second to throw that ball, it's a touchdown. But at some point, the quarterback has to realize when you have to give up on a play sometimes. And we've seen the high end plays from Daniel Jones; he can make them. We just need him to keep those high end plays, but just eliminate some of the bad ones. 
and, and, and that's what I mean. So that, like, so that brings me to the point where, you know, he, he's like on the verge of being a, a great quarterback because it's really like simple things that, you know, you would think like, oh, my goodness, why'd you, why didn't you just do this? It was so easy, but he did it, right? So that, that, that makes me question now. Someone, you know, because Lance is right, he only has had less than a full rookie season, so he's technically like almost still a rookie, right? So, but when you see him make certain plays and then you see people who are younger than him or, you know, around the same um, time frame or experience-wise kind of make – their plays when you're like, wow, that was what we want to see out of our quarterback. It leads me to, to question if if he has that juice, but you know we still have a lot of time to see. Well, what no, he's no, do. well, Norris, real quick, well, Norris, real quick, just real fast. Remember, the Giants changed systems too, so yeah. that might exactly. slow down the developmental process too. Like Kyler Murray, same system, same system he had in college. So in that way, sure. he he should be a little bit ahead of where Jones is because he's had that continuity while Jones had to learn a brand new system this year. So just something to keep in mind. I mean, look at Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield has had multiple systems, too. And I know he was the year before Daniel Jones was drafted, but that is something I always bring up. Hey, Sam Darnold, too. the quarterback. It's just reality. Lance, Sam Darnold, too. He went from Adam Adam Gase. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Norris. Finish up. No, no, you're sure. You're fine. You're fine. So, um, yeah, my last thing. So, when defenses are keying in against the Giants, you know, before the injury, they would say, all right, our main thing is we're going to stop the run and we're going to make Daniel Jones uh, beat us. So they consistently know that when he's under pressure, you know what I mean, he might, whatever, make a panic play and, and hold him too, too long or throw it away, get an interception or whatever. So, they, you know, they're constantly throwing that pressure at him. So isn't, wouldn't a way to attack that be to pass more as opposed to trying to run Saquon Barkley at it? You know what I mean? Like to really open up the passing game and force them not to keep attacking. Because I felt like all they had to do was, was blitz. Either they're going to get Saquon or they're going to get Daniel Jones into making a mistake. And that was really the game plan because it's just constant pleasure every game. You know what I mean? And uh, before, I'll take the answer off the air. Before I go, though, I just want to wish my boy Saquon a happy recovery. You know, it sucks that he got hurt. Um, I feel like he's, he really has the talent to be great. And, um, you know, we just wish him a speedy recovery. Do you guys think he can come back to 100%? You know what I mean? And I'll take that off the air, though. Thanks for Thank you, Norris. Call, Appreciate the call, man. Look, other running backs have. Saquon, uh, Adrian Peterson has. A bunch of guys have come back from ACL. So, Look, Alvin Cook came back from yeah. the ACL. Look, we know how strong he is. We know what a hard worker he is. There's no reason that he can't come back next year and, and be the same guy. There, there really isn't. Um, number two, um, your second question. I'm, it just flew out of my head. Well, uh, uh, What was his first question before he said goodbye, Lance? I'm trying to remember. Well, he was talking about the passing game. Oh, that's right. And about whether or not you should put pressure on Daniel Jones, try to run the ball, or maybe continue passing. That was pretty much the debate. Yeah, and the way I look at it is that, you know, he said you just blitz Daniel Jones and it's good. You know, last year Daniel Jones was fine against the blitz. He actually played relatively, you know, all quarterbacks are worse when they're under pressure. But Jones's you know, rankings against pressure were much better than they were when he wasn't under pressure in the league. You know, he was like top half of the league under pressure among all quarterbacks in terms of performance. That wasn't the case when he wasn't under pressure. So it's not that Jones performs poorly under pressure. You can just blitz him and it's going to work. That really wasn't the issue with Jones last year. He actually played well under pressure, which is rare for young quarterbacks, but he actually did. He was, I think, top two or top three of first and second year quarterbacks last year in terms of playing well under pressure. So uh, to me, that's not an issue. I think the reason you try to run is that you want to keep Jones out of those third and longs, Lance, when he tries to do too much. Because that's when I think he holds the ball and he takes those deeper drops. You put pressure on the offensive line that you're worried about. And that's when bad things happen. So I think that's the goal of trying to get into third and reasonable uh, and third and short. 
So Daniel Jones doesn't kind of dive into some of those bad habits and you keep those bad things from happening. Now, you can make the argument you throw on first down, you try to avoid getting into third down altogether, and that's a fair argument. I see that part of it. But I think that's the plan. You don't want to put him in those situations where you can, you know, tee off on the quarterback, you put pressure on your offensive line in third and long, and Jones is going to maybe slide into some of those issues where he has some issues. Well, and the reason why I think the Giants need to avoid that is they're coming off a game, John, where they were 3 of 13 on third down, which I thought was a huge factor because the Bears were 9 of 16. So there was a huge differential between both teams and the efficiency. But here's the crazy part about this last game against the Bears. Of the 13 downs on third down, eight of them were for six yards or less. So even with losing Saquon, they actually avoided some of those lengthy third downs. Despite that, the efficiency wasn't where it should have been. So as you just hit on, if they're not 100% in terms of getting through when you got a third and five and a third and four, do you really now want to put Daniel Jones in a situation where now he's going to consistently face third and tens, third and twelves? I would say no. I think they've got issues in terms of shoring up the efficiency on some of those smaller downs and distances. The last thing you want to do is now give the opposing pass rush an opportunity to really sit back or be further aggressive because they know that there's absolutely no chance the Giants are going to be running the football on third down. 201-939-4513. Two callers. We got to get you in before one. We got to be off right at one o'clock here, folks. So let's get you in. Hugo in New Jersey is up next. Hey, Hugo. Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, I'll go quickly. You know, one question I have is related to COVID protocol. Um, you know, the players that opted out, uh, would they be able to opt back in? And the reason I say that is because, um, you know, a lot of players opted out around major leagues problems during the summer, but the NFL has done just a fabulous job as i think about it other than inside the home if i if i was going to be at a place there's no place i'd rather be i think than at the giants facility i'm certainly better than walmart or costco or a place like that you know what i mean 100 percent. yeah well you're alluding to baseball where there have been players you're right that opted out and then opted back in and from what i understand the language of the law allowed them to do that with the nfl once you opt out it's over you're done for the season it's over. That's, that, that's unfortunate. They should have given players the flexibility to observe what is happening. And well, but, then, but you have to understand, Hugo, and I don't mean to cut you off, there's salary cap implications by the decisions that all those players made. So the reason why they're not going to allow them back in is Nate Solder, for example, the contract's told to the following season. So if Nate decides next week to come back, now the Giants have to now maneuver the numbers and it creates more of a headache. So that's more of a yeah. reason why I think the NFL said you got to make this decision now. In baseball, you don't have a yeah. hard cap. So there's a little okay. bit more wiggle room to absorb a player coming back versus what would happen in football. Uh, I see. Okay, very good. Thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. No you know, problem. I wanted to talk about Daniel, Daniel Jones. I'll make this quick because uh, it seems like everyone wanted to talk about Daniel Jones. And, and I think the, the issue with Daniel Jones is it certainly has some things to work on. But I think he does try to do too much. And, and I think that may be a carryover from his days at Duke. And he's finding some of the same things here with the Giants where, you know, the team has some gaps in talent and he feels like he has to make the most out of every opportunity. And, um, you know, I think about not only the pressure he gets, but also some of the tight window throws he makes. You know, one there, uh, I think it was the fourth down play on that last drive. 
I didn't think he squeezed that ball in there. I mean, that ball, you know, needed perfect placement. Yeah, you're right. And I think I, I think everything has to be too perfect with Daniel Jones. And if I think, I, I, honestly, I can't think of a young quarterback having this much success under such adverse conditions. I mean, if you look at the career, what happened to Josh Rosen, same draft class. You look at Sam Darnold and what's happening with Sam. Even if you think about Carson Wentz, now that he doesn't have four pro bowlers in front of him in the offensive line, the issue with, the issue with, um, you know, with Daniel is not so much the mistakes he makes, is, so, is that he's facing adverse conditions to, you know, with such consistency. And that's really where the team needs to improve. And I think the improvement needs to come from the offensive line. I think, I think, I think there's hope there because I think Nick Gates, improve from week one to week two, and I would expect him to improve since he's only playing the center position for the first time in his life, which is you know, quite, quite a bit to ask for, in, uh, especially in this year. I think, uh, as I looked at it, you know, Thomas was left isolated and left tackle a lot, which kind of speaks to you know, the coaching staff's confidence in Thomas. And yes, he made some mistakes and so forth, but the reality is the guy can play because he can move, he can redirect. I saw a couple of plays where the guy took an outside rush and he redirected the guy inside. He's got talent. And, you know, I'm hopeful that somewhere along the way maybe Matt Pert can get in and, and, and displace the journeyman uh, right tackle. And, uh, you know, you go finish that, up, man. We're that's out of time. Be the key to success. Yeah, that, that's going to be the key to success. I appreciate the call, Hugo. And I would just be careful comparing Jones's supporting cast to the likes of Darnold and Rosen. I think he's had a little bit of a better time of it. Yeah, I don't even think it's close. <laughs> no, it's also, not, they it's had some major offensive yes, line issues correct. with the Jets. Yeah. It was a revolving door <laughs> last season, and the Cardinals weren't any better. Yeah, no question about it. Or, or the Dolphins last year for Rosen, too, for that matter. Yeah. They had a, a rough roster. All right, let's wrap it up, Lance. Let's go to Charlie. But I do. I think Jones does try to do too much sometimes, and I'm just give up on a play. And to your point, live and fight another day, Lance. Final call of the show is Charlie in Portland, Maine. Charlie, you got about 90 seconds, my friend. Go ahead. All right. 90 seconds too um, much, but go ahead. <laughs> hey, look, you can't turn over the ball twice. Yes, we know this. Twice. We have, every game we, you play. Yes, we have said this that multiple times, Charlie. Be, we know. We, yes, we know. I we know. Agree. You're not going to win. We know. Okay? Yes. I don't care what Jones does. If he, And the thing is, now that Barkley's gone, what's going to happen? And we... Who is he going to throw to? I mean, who Evan Ingram, Golden Tate, receiver? and Darius Slayton. Yeah, well, they're going to double Slayton because he's the only guy that gets any right, separation. So the other guys oh, have the to time win one-on-one Golden battles. Golden Tate gets separation. Don't give me that. That's nonsense. It's nonsense. How? How does Golden Tate get separation on that last play? Did he get any separation, John? No, he didn't. Charlie, they eight. Charlie, they rushed three guys. They had eight people covering in the end zone. That's a nonsense answer. It's a nonsense answer. You have five receivers trying to get open against eight defensive players. Tell me how he's going to well, get open. I'll tell you what you do. You know who needs to step up is Ingram. That's who. He should get yes. a 50-50 ball. We, we said that earlier the in the show. And let him jump up and get it. Because he's, what, 6'5 or something? Now, Charlie, just FYI. That's should have gone now, 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 you realize Ingram was double teamed on that play, right? On the final play of the game, he had two he guys du- on him. I don't care if he was double teamed. That's oh, where he should have gone. Charlie, there was one guy in front of him, one ball. behind him. There was no way to throw the ball. Oh, come on, John. Look, Jones is so darn flawed. And the thing is, if we don't have a running game now because the sequence has gone, guess what? They're going to have to... 
we rely on Jones. And you know what's going to happen? Those two turnovers are going to go to four turnovers because he's going to be right. throwing the ball a lot more. Charlie, we got to go. Charlie, we got to go. Newsflash, we last go. time I checked, the Giants didn't have much of a running game even with Saquon That's over the first game point. and a half. That's a good point. Okay? So let's not make it sound like they were running for 100 yards when Saquon was healthy. <laughs> were All right, they? Yeah, no, they were not, Lance. <laughs> All right, we got to roll, man. Good show, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks for being with us, everybody. You can find the archive of the show on Giants.com, the mobile app, and, of course, on all your favorite podcast platforms. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time, everybody. Stay safe. Be good.